Legion premiered on February 7th, 2017 on FX. Let's put 70 minutes on the clock. And that's the premise behind Pilot Study. Hello and welcome to Pilot Study. My name is Chris Lantinen and I am your host. And I'm joined today by a very special guest, a longtime friend, my all-time movie partner. If I want to see a bad movie, good movie, midnight showing, sneak into three movies that we paid for when we paid for only one. I think we only did that once, and we didn't make it the whole way through. Uh, Try to be extras in The Dark Knight Rises. We failed. And he just recently started up his own movie podcast. It is called Film Brew. I'll let him talk a little bit more about that. It's Garth Watson! Hello, Hey, how's it going? Uh, Thanks for having me. It is going well. So tell the uh, listeners real quick about Film Brew and what what kind of episodes are coming up. Yeah, so uh, Film Brew is a podcast hosted by myself, and uh, I just basically talk about, I drink a different beer each episode, and I talk about movies, and like the first episode was kind of a wrap-up of 2016 movies, Uh, second episode we talked football movies because of the uh, Super Bowl, Chris was an episode, or guest on that episode, and a couple upcoming ones, we got a valentine's day episode coming up uh within the next couple days uh gonna be talking about some kind of alternative romance movies to watch on valentine's day if you're not really into the whole like you know generic romantic movies love actually uh no (laughs) Uh, that would be that would be valentine Blue Valentine, yes, that okay. that will be that will be mentioned. If you want to immediately break up afterwards, are these are these yeah. the kind of movies you're selecting? Well, yeah, I kind of have a range from like pretty mild, like still could be considered a romantic movie, to Blue Valentine, where it's just gonna crush your soul <laughs> and you're just gonna be curled up in a ball by yourself. Uh, now that is just on SoundCloud right now, right? So just, just on SoundCloud. Okay, yep. so, so just go so search Film Brew at SoundCloud and you'll find the episodes. Yeah, or you could go to soundcloud.com slash filmbrew. Perfect. I want to yeah. offer some quick love to my usual co-host. If you listen to this podcast regularly, you'll know that Grimes has never missed an episode, but he had a family emergency, so he had to bounce from this episode and the next one you're going to hear. <clears throat> so we just want to offer his, him some love, but enough about Grimes. Garth is here. We are ready to talk about Legion. What happened, what I, what I did to... Uh to Dr. Poole. You went off your medications, but that's not. That's, you know, I, I saw things. Delusions, you mean, we talked about that. Your brain chemistry, how your illness simulates voices, all the hallucinations you described, the devil with yellow eyes. Hmm. 
You have something to add? No. Please keep talking so we can all pretend that our problems are just in our heads. This is a highly anticipated FX series. It's helmed by the Fargo showrunner Noah Hawley. Uh, he basically has carte blanche at FX now, and we have something kind of, sort of related to Fox's greater X-Men operations. Brian Singer and Simon Kinberg are producers who wrote and directed the last Star Wars, or the last uh, X-Men movie, I believe, right? Kinberg wrote yeah, uh, it. Yeah, I believe so. Or Kimberg, I believe. I think it's K. Kimberg, yeah. Um, but I believe they've already said that this will not connect to the films, uh, which I find highly refreshing. Yeah, thank God. After the Netflix um, shows have had to really shoehorn in some rough, bad connections at times. Yeah, but every every Netflix episode where it's like the green oh, guy, call, call the green guy. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Uh, but uh, if this is a huge hit you know they're going to try to shoehorn David Heller, whatever his name is, into a Deadpool uh, Logan movie. Yeah, probably. So, <laughs> um, I would also like to mention before we get into the nitty-gritty here that this is definitely, we have Hall of Fame episodes where we've inducted uh, Lost and Friday Night Lights into our Hall of Fame. I think this is worthy, but the rule is that if me and Grimes both do not agree, we cannot have it in the Hall of Fame. So I have to wait for him to watch it. And Do you think this it, is going to be what, – what's your prediction of what Grimes is going to think of this show? Uh, well, I will tell you a little story about him. Um, he when we, we, when we did Daredevil, he's very outside this world. So when we did Daredevil, and he'll laugh at this, he thought that the incident they kept referring to, you know how they refer to the incident and how they had to rebuild the city or whatever, yeah. and it's the alien attack from Avengers. Well, he thought the incident was 9-11. <laughs> and so like he's coming from from a really like real world place but i do think he'll like the setting and the soundtrack and i think he'll like the psychedelic vibe um of the of the general of basically what they're dealing with here um what, they just, whatever time period it is if they just connected it to 9-11 somehow it would be right up his alley <laughs> Yeah, if they mentioned 9-11 once, it's Hall of Fame worthy. Okay, yeah. so my first question to you, and kind of how I want to start this, is what do you think about the burn-it-down ending of this show? And in that, I mean the fact that the pilot is almost a complete narrative arc. Not really yeah. character, but narrative. A little bit character, because at the end he does kind of get some of his re some of his reality back. And that it seems like episode two is going to start a different journey. Yeah, I I really like that. It kind of is its own self-contained thing. Like you could just watch this episode and it could serve as its own story. You know, like obviously it's going to expand on everything. and But like, yeah, they pretty much wrap up everything that they kind of set up at least narratively. I don't know. You could almost see this as a lower budget, like maybe chronicle, budget, yeah, budget size type of movie. Where really, they're the only thing they're missing here, considering it's seventy minutes, would be the third act, and would be the final fight or whatever, right? Whatever like foe they have brought him into face. I, I was gonna say, yeah, it is pretty much feature length film, and uh, which. It was a little intimidating to come on this episode. I was, you know, if this was like The Office or like right. a nice little 21-minute comedy, I'd be a little, it'd be a little easier. This is like, I was 
probably 10 minutes into it and I'd had no idea how long it was and I just checked the time. I was like, oh shit, I still got like 48 minutes left. <laughs> yeah, the the longer ones sometimes will hit the sometimes will hit the running time, sometimes we don't and then sometimes on the 20 minute ones we'll go 40 if it's <laughs> yeah. like something crazy. So we probably don't have to go 70 minutes, but I think there <laughs> there is a lot to discuss here. Um I, I I suppose I should break down the plot a little bit. We are introduced to David um, played by Dan Stevens uh, from The Guest and Downton Abbey and possible future James Bond, which we can talk about. Uh, Aubrey Plaza, Kate Asselton. Uh, I think the I think the Sid character's name is Rachel Keller. She was in Fargo as well, along with Noah Hawley. And what we have is David in a mental hospital after he... Uh, he tries to kill himself, right? That's kind of the incident yeah. that leads him to the hospital. Yeah, he tries to tries to hang himself with a cord. Yeah, so he tries to hang himself with an electrical cord, and he ends up in this uh, mental institution where he is with Aubrey Plaza's character of Lenny. And this woman, Rachel Keller, a.k.a. Sid, enters his life, and everything kind of changes from there. And this is intercut with an interrogation he is undergoing at a, gover- at a large government facility um, that... They do not indicate what exactly is going on at the very beginning. It seems to be a small investigation, but eventually you find out that David may be the most powerful most powerful mutant they have ever studied. Is, yeah. Is there anything else plot-wise that I'm missing? Well, no. You you pretty much covered all the bases. I just it's all told non-linearly. Mm-hmm. So like like you're saying it like starts at the mental hospital or the mental institution and then cut it like cuts all around the place and it at times it's a little confusing but it all kind of adds up at the end yeah so make makes sense do you i mean in terms of the timeline and how it's presented are do you think we're to assume that everything is in the current timeline of the interrogation and everything up until that point he is telling the story of yeah that's kind of what i what i uh figured okay at some point is that yeah the interrogation is present day or like the current timeline and then everything else was like flashback or yeah him like telling the story of what happened everything being a memory so with it being a memory i kind of want to get to the time period thing because the time period is very confusing and i I think it's i think it's intentional the this av club review that i pulled really nails it it says even what's familiar is of no real comfort because the music the clothes even the people and events that make up david's life come from various eras leaving the viewer with only a vague sense of when this is all occurring holly intentionally avoids dating the show with specific models of cars there's one car um, but this you can't really tell what year it's from. And while the hairstyles and clothing suggest the 60s, a stray reference to CNN upends that. The pop, the pop culture hodgepodge is designed to leave David and us without a firm place to, da- to stand on. So what did you think about the setting? And I mean, yeah, I, what, uh, what, did you, what time period did you think it was set in? Well, initially I thought it was like the 60s. But then, you know, as it went along, like you said, there were little references that you th- make you think maybe it wasn't but i mm. wrote down that i don't think that or i think it was meant to be vague like intentionally because i think part of the reason i know this isn't 
connected to the X-Men movies or anything, but the X-Men movies are just like all over the fucking place <laughs> with the timelines yeah. and stuff. So I kind of thought maybe that was one of the reasons they kept it vague was just so they don't even have to like worry about dealing with that stuff. I think Holly said that he set this as a period piece or he kind of designed it as a period piece because the X-Men movies were period pieces. So he was following, he was following that in terms of, um, timeline yeah he's not like i don't think he's not a slave to the timeline like i think dan stevens's character and he's not a slave to the comics i think his character is the only one that actually appears in the legion comics i think all the others are made up i was gonna say i i have no idea who any of these characters are (laughs) include including david haller uh played by dan stevens like I'm not too familiar with X-Men lore. Like, I've seen the movies, and I vaguely remember watching the I've, I've cartoon, played, I've played the arcade game. game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm not familiar with Legion or any of that stuff. So, yeah, I I didn't know which characters were from the comics and which ones weren't. I believe, yeah. I believe Haller is the only one from the comics, and I think that he intentionally brought in all these other from from, you know, scratch type of characters so that he could basically give them any powers that he wanted to like he w- he wouldn't be a slave to oh you can't touch sid because of like she has a rogue like power mm-hmm. you know like and it, it's especially interesting because now all the people that are our big comic geeks can't go back and like spoil it for non-comic people and they yeah. can't they can't spoil it for themselves like you literally have no idea like what the I think the girl the girl that's chasing him her power is the fire but you really don't know where the fire comes from at the end of the episode that like fucking melts people's skin <laughs> <Yeah>. off <laughs> yeah that's that's cool to me that yeah I really love that the idea that like anything can happen and nobody including comic book fans really know mm-hmm. what's coming it's so a- you can't really don't have to worry about being spoiled by some little punk on the imd <laughs> message boards it's almost like the newest season of game of thrones when they finally were able to go off book like it got so much more exciting and like a yeah, water exactly. and like a water cooler um style of discussion because you didn't have the one person in the group that was like oh we'll just wait till the red wedding and yeah as to, they like, like stop push themselves. up the glasses <laughs> from the nose <laughs> Uh, but like i mean katie asselton she comes in straight flower power haircut or (laughs) like maybe like domestic housewife haircut with flower power dress and so like you immediately think 60s and then aubrey plaza throws out the cnn reference and i actually had to look it up cnn didn't launch until 1980 so it's oh and that cnn reference that wasn't in the script aubrey plaza just has to reference cnn like in everything she's in it's like <laughs> part of her contract oh is it she's got to deal with cnn <laughs> so she her contract single-handedly uh threw off the entire timeline of legion <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah holly was like well i guess it can't be in the 60s now but it was some it was some weird clause in her contract way back when she first became an actress and <laughs> yeah. her agent like had a had dealings with cnn I'm trying to think where it came up in Parks and Recreation. Maybe you can help me out. I think it. I think, I think it was during the, the election. Yeah, during the election. That's definitely where it was. You're in here because somebody said you're not normal. Like normal's the suit. We're all supposed to. But you know who else wasn't normal? Picasso, Einstein. Ooh, I like her. <laughs> I like you. You got what the kids these days call moxie. 
You know, just so I'm clear, are you Einstein or Picasso in this scenario? Whatever. All I'm saying is, what if your problems aren't in your head? What if they aren't even problems? Talk about that. No, I'm good. I read in your file that you don't like to be touched. I want to talk really quick about, um, oh, who's the guy from, who's, who plays David Heller? I can't remember now. David Heller? Oh, Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens. So let's talk a little bit about Dan Stevens. He's obviously a ridiculously good-looking guy. <laughs> yeah. And they have to kind of, like, scruff him up by giving him, like, half emo haircut in the beginning and, mm-hmm. like, the swoop haircut when he um, tries to kill himself and then just, like, bad haircut, like, in the actual yeah. institution. I mean, what do you see as his future in movies tv like he seemed it seems like he's a big time rising star but then he's still doing television so it seems like he has an interesting view on what he should spend his time on it kind yeah and it kind of feels like he has the potential to go beyond just being because he has the the good looks but Mm -hmm. this his performance in this episode was good enough where and kind of weird enough where it kind of feels like he can kind of do something really interesting with his career if he picks the right projects and stuff. I saw that he's going to be in the new live action Beauty and the Beast. I... Yeah, but he's I think he's just playing the Beast, so he's he, yeah. I don't think I don't think he's getting much uh much yeah. much actual screen time. Um The only thing I had seen him in before this was The Guest and he was obviously like very uh handsome with clean cut hair and everything. Very and I, very I, rippling. Yeah, he was yeah, actually at first he was hardly recognizable in this to me anyways. Yeah. It's, you know, he kind of reminds me of, he actually reminds me of like the James McAvoy career path where you do have these like blockbuster type things in, you can always do a blockbuster. Like he can always do a beauty and the beast or he could, he could do an X-Men movie if like he actually went out for it, but it seems like he has weirder, career aspirations that could lead him to like tv or like an m night Shyamalan movie Mm -hmm. or you know whatever like it seems like he's a little adventurous which is cool and which makes me hope that he's not going to take the james bond part that he's been so rumored for. yeah because that would probably tie him down for a while oh god daniel craig like is he was a great bond but his his career was ruined basically yeah yeah and yeah like you were saying um with the james mcavoy another a couple other actors who I kind of thought of when you mentioned picking kind of weirder stuff. It's like Elijah Wood, Daniel Radcliffe, Paul Dano, like Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Like you could see Dan Stevens being a dead corpse, a dead farting corpse in Swiss army, man. Like he has that kind of sensibility. I'm to the part I have it on in the background here. I'm I'm to the part where they're starting the interrogation. And uh, I will say that one guy that really jumped out at me and a guy that I only knew from the new adventures of old Christine is the interrogator. And Thomas Linklater. Yeah. He's really good. Is he not in like, I feel like he's got to be in a movie or something or is it just like TV shows that I've seen him on? I literally spent the entire episode (laughs) trying to figure out where the fuck I knew him from. I looked on. It seems like he should be in girls at some point. (laughs) Yeah, well, he does kind of look like uh, the guy that plays Ray in Girls. Yeah, oh, yeah, he does. But yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I looked on IMDb earlier today and finally found him, and 
He was in the Fargo TV show. I don't know how many episodes or anything. Okay. Uh, he was in the big short. He was in Newsroom, which I think I've seen him in, even though I haven't seen that whole show. Uh, the Crazy Ones, Fantastic Four, the original or like the 2005 version. But best, yeah, there was best version. <laughs> yeah, so there was like nothing, nothing big that like he, he, he definitely looked more familiar than. He's just got a cool vibe going on. I also felt like he could have been one of the people that kidnapped George Clooney in um, Hail Caesar. Yeah, <laughs> but again, that was Ray. <laughs> yeah. So maybe nope. I just think he's Ray. I think that, I think that's what it is. I might have had a similar thing happen to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, you but know, I was surprised. Oh, go sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. I was I was just gonna say I was surprised that they killed him off at the end because he was really good and it seemed like he was gonna be play a pretty big part in the show can i can i also throw another random observation out there yeah he, he gets brutally murdered at the end of this episode <laughs> yeah. poor poor link later another random observation the shoes in this show are all awesome like when he is um when he does the kitchen scene and he f- throws everything around and just you know goes nuts he has like chuck taylor's on which felt in tune with his character all like the 60s style women's shoes are really cool and the shoes that they have to wear in the mental institution are cool. It's not often that I, I notice shoes. I was going to say, I did not notice any <laughs> of that stuff. The shoes are cool. It's just like everything about this show is well, like the, the set dressing and all in the show is just very um, precise, I yeah. guess. And it says, I loved all, it says a lot about the surroundings and the characters. I loved all the costume design too. Like I was, I wrote down the, I, really love their costumes like when they're in the clockwork mental institution or whatever like i kind of wished those were like their outfits throughout the series like kind of their version of the x-men yeah that'd outfits, be cool. like those well, sweats when when they show up at the end when sid and her two henchmen show up at the end to save david um they got some pretty dope outfits on her like all black with the orange um oh yeah hair tie is kind of cool with her gloves and stuff I, I dug that and um like I, I even like the color design in the show like her orange jumpsuit or her her like coat and um dress thing when she's leaving com- with her like lime green suitcase mm-hmm. it's just like everything is popping off the screen and it feels very comic booky in the staging and the color choices and the just the general set design feels very comic booky even if they're trying to make something that's a little more psychedelic i guess it felt it felt a little bit with the costumes and stuff it felt a, a tiny bit wes anderson-esque oh yeah i could see that yeah like do, did you ever see the they made like that youtube video of if wes anderson directed the x-men <laughs> i think i have seen that yeah it, it it kind of was like that like as far as the costume design and stuff mm-hmm. from what i remember no, oh, no go ahead well just a quick little fun fact that i kind of found while I was going through the internet today is um, so on their sweats that they're, you know, the sweatsuits they're wearing Mm -hmm. in the hospital um, each, they have like stripes going down the arms and there's like different colored stripes and the different colored stripes indicate kind of their danger level. So, so Sid had a white stripe on hers, which indicates like the lowest risk like a calm, relatively safe person. But David, she, she's in there for addiction. Yeah. yeah. Or is she in there for addiction? I yeah. thought it was. I thought. I thought when she said that I'm leaving because I'm getting to that scene now. I get to leave tomorrow. I thought she said that the doc said I was clean. 
Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah. I Yeah. But, and then David, his color was yellow. That's kind of like somewhere in the middle. It's like a risk, but not a constant threat. Uh, but, please please or, tell me that Lenny is red. Lenny is red, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like too rambunctious to ever trust, basically. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, and, and like when um, David and Sid switch bodies and, you know, Dave, they're like restraining David and Aubrey Plaza or Lenny is like telling the guards like he's in the yellow and she's referring to the color uh, basically okay. saying that he's not like that big of a risk. Okay, that makes sense. I, yeah. I, love, I love that she's red. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out where I want to go next here. I think I want to go to this compared to the Marvel show. So, you know, with this not having to link up with the movies, how big of an advantage do you think that serves the show? And what, like, narratively, what in particular do you think they're able to do considering they're not tied to a show. Like, I, I feel like the ending action sequence is a big moment for this, for, like, the establishment of what they're going to be able to do because we have this guy who helps rescue him who's just throwing people, like, yeah. miles. And he seems super, super powered. And I feel like if, it, if it, this was connected to the X-Men universe, they may have to dial him back a little bit because we'd be like, well, why haven't we heard of this guy? Why isn't he on the X-Men? You know, like, I think the Marvel shows suffer from that. I think they have to, like, lower the powers of, say, like, Daredevil or Jessica Jones or whoever so that, not that there's no comparison between her and Captain America, but... So that the questions don't get asked, like, oh, why are they not helping fight these robots or whatever, you know? Yeah, that that's a really good point. I didn't really think of it like that in that context of... They can just do yeah. whatever, I guess. Like, he could yeah, be, exactly. be more powerful than Xavier if he wants to, because they are not going to, like, come up against each other. But I was thinking it's interesting how they're kind of building it up as David's going to have or be one of the most powerful mutants. And yeah, like you were saying, this guy what, during the rescue was just like throwing people <laughs> effortlessly. Like yeah. it, it was like that guy seems like the most powerful mutant I've ever seen. That's actually like, exactly what I thought. I, I think I wrote down somewhere like if that guy is just a regular mutant, then what can David do Yeah, that can like top crushing people with rocks and just being throwing people literally miles with like <laughs> the flick of a wrist um you know in that in that like one shot take action scene at the end where they're escaping the complex where he's being interrogated does david kill somebody because at one point he's getting yeah. choked and they cut away and then the guys on the ground and like there's like a, a smush sound or yeah uh, i'm pretty sure or something yeah i'm pretty sure he like just crushed the guy with his mind or something I but yeah maybe we he like it. blew his head up or something but he's that could have that could have been too in, yeah he's not covered in blood or, or anything like that 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 might have been a too brutal for the first yeah. episode uh david now, making somebody's head explode <laughs> <laughs> they didn't they haven't really fully established what david's powers really are yet have they like they've kind of hinted at telekinesis and not hinted yeah. they showed that he does have telekinesis he can kind of hear voices i don't know if those are i, I assume they're voices of other people kind of like a professor x yeah. type thing i think in the comics he is 
Legion. David Charles Haller is a fictional character, and he is the mutant son of Professor Charles Xavier and Gabriella oh. Haller. So while they're probably not going to do that dad stuff here, I think we have to assume that they're going to transfer those powers. Okay. Um, the, the Xavier-like powers may be a little more wild and far-reaching. Yeah. Okay, so that makes apparently sense. he's supposed to be Xavier's son, which is huh. c- kind of nuts. <laughs> cool. I hope. I really hope that they uh, go the X Men Apocalypse route then yeah. with the yeah. Quicksilver Magneto thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I want to read some quotes from Holly. He said, "On the struggle, his biggest struggle is to accept that what's happening to him is real. This, of course, is David. The danger is." If it's not, and if it's a psychotic break or a symptom of his illness, and he accepts it as real, he may never recover from that. On the X-Men, he said, The X-Men universe is one with a lot of moral grayness to it. It's not your classic good versus evil, black and white world, where good is always good and evil is always evil. And I think that's probably my favorite part of the X-Men on a personal note. On Sid, he says, Since she was a teenager, she has gone out of her way not to touch people, and as a result has been diagnosed with an antisocial personality disorder. That's not actually what she is. She has this physical ability. But at the same time, she does have an antisocial personality disorder because she is avoiding people and she has a negative feeling about getting too close to people. Um, he said that for me as a writer was the best part or was the, was the best part to say that this this is a positive ability and it also has a downside that's worth exploring in a more existential way. Um, so that makes Sid seem like the character that he's most interested in and that makes her character to me a lot more interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ha- for she, sure. She has the rogue syndrome, but again, it's far more reaching and far more volatile it seems. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that when they kiss, eventually, it's revealed that he and her switch bodies, or switch minds, basically, and he yeah. enters her body, and when he's in David, and when she's in David's body, she, like, can't handle all the power that is given to her in that instance. Right. Now, is her only power the power to switch I don't, I don't think we from know what yet. we know yeah i think from what we from what we know that's the only thing we've seen yeah and and then it has some sort of limit it must be where after a certain amount of time just automatically switches back yeah it seems like it's a temporary thing because eventually mm-hmm. he switches back which confused me at first but because he like showed up on his sister's doorstep looking for a place to stay after he gets out well she gets out of the hospital but it's actually him and yeah. see, this is where the timelines get a little crazy and confusing. And it, it'd be, I think it would be a disservice to spend too much time trying to sort all this out because there's just right. good acting and like good staging in this thing. But from what I understand, they switch bodies when she's ready to leave the hospital after she's clean. So he gets out and eventually switches back into himself after the temporary body switch changes or mind switch. She is then rescued by the two mystery henchmen from the hospital i'd assume at some point yeah okay and and uh my second question that i think you'll you might have an answer to did she go in for david Ooh. yeah that's sad that's sad you're in a mental hospital all i'm saying is That thing they tell us is crazy. How I don't want to be handled. 
where you see stuff and hear whatever voices. That's what makes you you. Do you want to be my girlfriend? Okay. But don't touch me. Okay. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Find me at dinner. That's a good question. I didn't think about that. Because uh, she makes this connection with him. She, like, stumbles into his, like, meeting and, like, kind of gives him this pep talk about how you're special. You're not damaged. And then, and I, I don't know, it just seems like a coincidence that she would go into that hospital. Yeah. No, that does make sense. Because even when she gets out, or it's actually him, but when she gets out and they go to pick her up, um, it's those two people and it's the main who I'm guessing is like the leader, the, uh, Melanie bird. She's also there. Right. So like, yeah, I feel like it, that, that would make a lot of sense if it was like a grand scheme to ultimately get him spring him out. Yeah. Now get him before the government gets him. Now, right. do you think that, do you think that she was like falling in love with him for that reason? Or do you think like there was... Are we to expect an actual connection, or is that going to be a thing, like that she fell in love with him for a mission? You know, Valentine's Day is coming up, and (laughs) I've always been a bit of a hopeless romantic. And uh, so you want to believe that it's good? Yeah, I I like to believe that it was a a pure romance, Mm -hmm. to some extent, at least. I really loved the whole like um, montage, I guess it was, of them spending time together and the whole them holding hands by holding the same piece of cloth or whatever that was i love that that scene yeah Yeah. um let's let's get into some some of our favorite parts here i'm gonna start i'm gonna go with the uh the kind of how they use the text on the screen and particularly the part where it cuts to him and he's like eating tape or something and he's talking about the devil with the yellow eyes and it displays on the screen Mm-hmm. Um, that whole scene where he has that first nightmare where he lifts the bed off the ground in the hospital. And um, and I know, like, the dance scene and the full kitchen explosion is going to get, like, the visual the visual love. But I think the that first nightmare is very spectacular, too. Like oh, how yeah. He lifts it and then everything explodes and he's got the devil with the yellow eye sequence. And I just really loved that scene. That was really good, yeah. I... Um the whole devil with the yellow eyes thing was a really uh creepiest i mean book. creepy yeah <laughs> very creepy um i don't know quite what to expect there's two things i don't know quite what to make of the devil with the yellow eyes and the dog in the cage oh yeah what's going yeah, on the... with that what, what is your best guess as to what the dog is 
I kind of assumed it was some sort of dog that was specially trained to like hunt mutants or like something something like that. But I yeah I don't know because they kind of are you ready for my theory? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so the weird dude that doesn't talk during the interrogation, the like guy other than Linklater. The one that carves the dogs? Yeah, he carves the dogs, and like when he leaves, he like puts the dog on the table, and I'm I'm to assume that there's a dog in the cage, so is, can this guy like transfer to the dog and can he see out of these carvings like it does he is is he able to transport his consciousness to different items well do you want i don't know if this is a spoiler or anything god we, we spoil everything here <laughs> on on the cast list on imdb that guy his character's name is listed as the eye yeah i've read that too so okay. that would kind of fit with what you're describing is like him kind of being able to at least like see through that dog maybe or yeah control it i think i think that's what's going on but again they could could be fucking with us yeah in the preview for the upcoming episodes or whatever that was at the end Mm -hmm. uh it showed a, a quick scene where like you could hear a dog barking and they were like walking through the woods uh, you know assumedly hunting for so them maybe he's like a beast style character but his like other form is just kind of caged up when it's not needed yeah oh yeah that could be like he like just transfers transfers himself into the dog whenever he needs to yeah fuck some people up Mm -hmm. um yeah that that would be interesting um some some more some more just like random notes that i found just fascinating with this thing. I love that the voices were trying to were telling him not to kill himself. Yeah, like they almost need him, or they're certainly pushing him to embrace like that communication. Um, the sequence, which is the whole reveal of the government headquarters, where David is being questioned, like where he leaves the pool, uh, the pool room. Mm-hmm. And like walks past all these soldiers and like these people watching a weird screen, who I assume are mutants. And like the music changed by Jeff Russo, who also did the score for Fargo. I loved that scene quite a bit. Um, Aubrey Plaza doesn't have a ton of time in this pilot, but she's excellent. Yeah. Just like her physical, I didn't realize she was so gifted at physical humor. And like the scene where David asks. Um, Sid, if he, she wants to be his girlfriend, like point blank, she just her whole like body language during that scene made me laugh, and I think she's I think she's kind of the standout here, even though she gets murdered. Yeah, she was really good. I was very surprised when she was uh, killed, but I think that I mean, obviously, we see her come back, uh, talk to David through his mind or whatever mm-hmm. later. So I think that'll probably happen a few more times throughout the series i don't think that's like the last we're gonna see ever but yeah she was she was really funny throughout and then when she shows up at the end after she's dead she was actually kind of like creepy when she's like telling them they're coming for him and all that stuff stop looking at me like that man i know i'm dead you killed me And I gotta say, not cool, man. I did it. Yeah, you did. Don't blame her. Don't blame her. She was just, uh, what are you? Pass.
passenger riding around in your body. Don't give a newbie a bazooka and act surprised when she blows shit up. Lenny, I'm sorry, man. No, it's cool. It's cool. What was I gonna spend the rest of my life popping pills from a little cup? Don't worry about me. It's you that's got problems. They're coming for you, babe. They know about the hospital. What you did. I didn't. What she did when she was you. Had your powers. They're coming and they're gonna kill you. <laughs> no. No. I think the two people that I know are not going to get as much screen time as I like and I would like them to are her and Asselton. Just because I always I always yeah. I always like her presence. She seems very in control of whatever character she's always playing. Like she's very Kate. she's very good and casual too. Katie Asselton? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I I think I've only seen her in the league other mm-hmm. than this. But yeah, I I do really like her. I thought she would have a little bit of a bigger role than she did in this first episode and also at first i was i thought she was his mom like when she first goes to visit (laughs) him yeah and then like it then when he shows up to her house then it's like oh this is my brother david and i was like wait is that supposed reveal or did i just miss something earlier but not that it really I guess matters they do seem pretty close in terms of age so I, yeah I, I don't know it it, it, made, it made sense to me like in terms of how they look and everything that they would be brother sister um mm-hmm. what are some more uh, random notes that you thought well, of came up with i really liked the opening sequence because it was like this three minute long dialogue free like decade spanning montage Mm -hmm. set to the who's happy jack and uh i thought it was a clever way of like telling this character's backstory really efficiently without like because that could have been they could have gone through the whole childhood and everything and that could have been a whole episode and it would have been kind of stretched out that could have been like half the season if yeah a lesser show yeah i really liked how they just kind of stylistically and efficiently like get down to it and like show you everything you need to know about this character up to the point that where where we meet him mm-hmm. well, i thought that was really good what's really great about that sequence and i, I feel like i'm cribbing this from something that noah holly said or something that i read in a review it's just that you know in terms of like in terms of mental illness in general there's always a time where the individual suffering from thus illness was not suffering from it. Like, there's always a time before the illness. And we have this very happy, this very happy kid who's, like, winning sports awards and doing things a normal kid would do, like ride his bike or whatever. And then you get that moment where he's screaming in the street, surrounded by all these people. And it's like, well, that that was the turn. Mm -hmm. that That is when whatever had to awaken in him awakened and from there his he is now different than everybody else and i feel like that is probably how mental illness comes about either through that or through trauma some awakening or some trauma and you know another thing that i really enjoy about how david is played is that he's kind of like giddy whenever his powers are 
like fully utilized and fully realized like he's not afraid of them yeah he kind of embraces it or like enjoys it when it's happening yeah he enjoys being able to accomplish the things that he knows he can accomplish like when the when the kitchen scene happens there's like this very short um there's this very short moment where he like starts to kind of smile because he can kind of stop it or slow it down or control the speed of which things are happening around him. And yeah. then he gets cut with the knife on the face. And so he's in control for this very quick moment, but is quickly reminded of the danger of being an amateur with this power and quickly reminded that he has to like excise this from right. his system. So right. I think like that opening scene paired with the kitchen scene are are kind of one and the same and kind of the same message that they're trying to get across about just what he's dealing with and how he's, how it kind of was awakened within him. Yeah, for sure. And I, one of the things that I really liked was how, I mean, in all of the X-Men movies and I'm assuming the comics and stuff, obviously um, they try to relate these mutants to, you know, normal day stuff like, Mm -hmm you know embracing their power you know make that makes them special their power makes them special but with i don't know if it's ever been done on such like a grounded level where like the power is misinterpreted as an actual mental illness yeah, and yeah. like i don't know i thought that it was a much more it's a great, related, it's a great relatable it's a great framing device like our yeah. What is reality, and are the voices in my head just a damaged individual lashing out, or are they like something that I need to pay attention to and embrace and like mm-hmm. use in a powerful manner? Like, there's another scene where they're doing the interrogation, and David like realizes that they're afraid of him, and like he takes a step towards the people that are setting up this like brainwave machine, and they back away. And he like gets a quick smile on his face, like they're afraid of me. I I'm in control of this situation. I could blow this shit up whenever. Yeah, I want and I think to. it kind of helps to because I think throughout the sh- the episode he's kind of second guessing himself because of how many times he's been told that it's all in his head. So I think he's always kind of second guessing, like, am I act, am I just crazy or whatever? And I think you know, yeah, when he you know takes a step and he kind of kind of helps to reaffirm in his head a little bit that he is does have these powers and it's not just him being crazy or whatever because even when even when they're breaking out and they're escaping like he stops Sid and it's like wait is this all actually happening or you know well and with these genre shows like I'm, I'm thinking particularly of The Walking Dead and I'm thinking of how they'll have these two or three they don't use CGI, but like effects heavy scenes in an episode, you know, where they kind of spend their budget on these scenes and the rest are kind of bodily in nature. Like they're kind of just a lot of discussion and they, they do them in that way so that they can have the big scenes later on, the big zombie scene or whatever. And I think where the walking dead went downhill really quickly is that those character scenes and those bottle episode type setups were just got so repetitive and so annoying and you couldn't side with any of the miserable characters here we know that there's going to be those two or three big psychedelic (laughs) action scenes every episode but all the characters are super interesting so far so i I like i want to see them talk to each other 
It's yeah. Not, it's not where The Walking Dead where I'm like, Rick is talking again about <laughs> Doom and I can't fucking handle it anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I, that's I that's agree. obviously key to a show like this like actually working is that we we want to see these people talk and interact and right you don't need the effects heavy stuff right through it like you can have episodes where it's just the characters interacting because they can keep it interesting and mm-hmm. worthwhile um a couple of more little things i think the most tragic thing about um lenny is that she never gets her awesome candy bar do we know what candy bar that is Oh, um, it's like, was it a Mars? It's like nougat with, um, I know there was nougat in it, but it had like, and of course we don't know what year this is. So (laughs) it could literally be from any era. I'm trying to think of what the like special thing was that was added to it. But anyway, she wants this candy bar and she doesn't get it because she gets brutally murdered. (laughs) Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, the line where David believes that. Link later was the one that was like in the car at the hospital. He was like, we don't have to be a dick about it, but yeah, it was you. I, lo- <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I loved his delivery there. Um, when he gets his he- head slammed down in the interrogation and he like comes up and he looks so fucking pissed off. I really, I really dug that as well. And of course the dance scene, we haven't talked about the dance scene, which is like the best TV show scene in the past yeah. year. I feel like that was, it's incredible. That was really good. it was kind of a, it reminded me kind of like those Bollywood Yeah, it's, dance it's definitely Bollywood inspired. Yeah. And that was that was good. It was all in his head, obviously. But yeah, I thought it was a really just kind of a interesting little little thing. You didn't you didn't really expect that a little extra to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, definitely a little extra thing that they just threw in there. But um like when he's revealed like, I can't remember how exactly it's set up or anything, but there's, like, a line of people, and he's, like, revealed, and he's doing something, and does this turnaround. It was... Oh, where he, like, exits the frame? Yeah, or yeah, whatever. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was that, good. That was really funny. Um, any, anything else you want to touch on? Um, I, will say the play, I will say real quick, the playfulness of that dancing, I think, is, again, what's going to separate this from the grim dark shit that Netflix has leaned so heavily on. Like Luke yeah. Cage. Did you ever finish Luke Cage? I never even started it. D- don't even bother. Luke okay. Cage like tries to break them out of that and it tries to have this kind of gleeful edge to it, but it's just not a very good show. So the vibe, I don't think it's likely to stick given that it wasn't as successful as say the very, very dark Daredevil. <laughs> right. And yeah. the kind of dark Jessica Jones. And I'd assume the dark Iron Fist. And so, like, the gleefulness of this show is just so refreshing. It's almost like it's kind of taking a cue from those CW shows that are a little happier. And yeah, that's like, true. Seems like people that, like, genuinely enjoy having their powers. Like, I see the, I just see the commercials for Supergirl. And it's like, oh, she likes being Supergirl. Like, yeah. that's weird because everything else on TV is so fucking dark when it comes to having a mutation or a power. She's not like, she's not like her cousin <laughs> yeah. or yeah. Super, Superman. Where he's depressed 90% of the time, even though he is the most powerful man in the universe yeah. and dates Lois Lane. And has sex with her in the bathtub. I know. What what more could you want out of life? Um, but yeah, I think I think this show Legion does a really good job of kind of walking the tonal tightrope type yeah. balance of you know having having the dark stuff, but also counterbalancing that 
<clears throat> sorry, counterbalancing that with, you know, lighter fare and humor and stuff, mm-hmm. which isn't isn't that easy to do, I don't think. Yeah, and I think uh, Holly, uh, one more thing about Holly and Stevens and kind of like how they build that positivity. Like he wants to fulfill life obligations of love and he want he wants to be powerful and be in control of his life. And I think that's why he seems like somebody you want to root for. Even yeah. though, again, all these government guys are just murdered like to rescue him. And I don't know. I just I like how he's played and I like how positive it is. I do have some songs that were played. We, of course, have The Who with Happy Jack in the very beginning. Uh, Rolling Stones, She's a Rainbow in the Love Montage. Jane's Addiction, Up the Beach. Uh, was a song that was played. I'm not sure where that popped up. And Serge Gainsbourg, Pavre Lola was the dance yeah. was the dance number. Um, so that's that's a, a French track, I believe. I would assume. I yeah, I think so. That was the one song title I wrote down as well. I think we hit all my bolded questions. We talked about the cage. We talked about the guy in the end being super powerful. We talked about Sid going, possibly going in for David. Uh, So let's do a quick review. So I, I pulled a review from the New York Times and they state, it makes for an opening episode that's stunning, but that can be hard to follow. I would say the hardest part to follow would be the thing where she goes back into his memories and like warns him or whatever yeah tells him about the pool that's that's a little tough to follow but i think it eventually makes sense but again the time says roll with it legion unfolds its logic gradually but it's grounded by its performances mr stevens the new york times uses mr and mrs a long way from playing the genteel matthew crawley in downton abbey makes david a fidgety jitterbug with a self-protective sense of humor and yeah, he's funny too, which also helps. He is. So I mean, I think that, I think they've got a really good base set here, and I, you know, I was I was already seeing articles like, could a superhero movie win an Emmy? I was like, well, I don't know about that, but uh, I think there's <laughs> it's a good start. Yeah, I think there's a chance it could at least get nominated. Yeah, nobody. Um, like, I don't think like Dan Stevens is going to win an Emmy for his role or anything, no. but maybe Gene Smart. Uh, the older woman at the end has a big part to play, I'd assume. So yeah. I thought Rachel Keller was really good. The, I, th- I thought she was great, yeah. Th- th- I was looking, the only thing, it didn't seem like she was in a lot of stuff. She it Fargo showed, was her big break, I think. Yeah, which oh. I, I haven't seen. I kind of feel like uh, I should have watched Fargo before I watched this because it seems like there's a quite a bit of crossover between that show and this there's just a lot of great actors in that show there's a there's another guy um the big standout from fargo season two is a guy named bokeem woodbine and he is he's gonna be in the new spider-man movie oh okay so he's playing um he's playing some bad guy i don't know who exactly it is but uh he's playing some bad guy um so i think go ahead Oh, just one quick thing. This is, you know, just kind of a nitpicky little thing. And it's not even a nitpick, but I'm trying to figure out what or how Sid's powers could actually come in handy, you know, because mm-hmm. I was thinking like, oh, well, she could, you know, touch a bad guy and switch with him and, you know, do something as him. But then that person is in her body and could do whatever. So, I, Isn't it very roguish in that she doesn't she absorb the power of the person she's touching so like when logan stabs her in like x-men one or whatever she takes his power and almost oh yeah i guess that's and she heals herself yeah so 
I assume she can do the same thing. She can so if she's fighting somebody who is more powerful than her, she touches him, switches bodies, and then she has it, his yeah, power. But a, then she'd have to kill her own body. I know that that's where it gets a little <laughs> right. tricky. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll see. Okay, it used at some good way, but yeah, I was just. I hope that trying she, to figure I, out. How I hope that. that she has something more. Yeah, I would think. Um, uh, I, I'd be interested to see how the music evolves in this too, and the different songs. I want to know how much they spent they spend on music for this whole season, because it feels oh. like it's going to be a big tab. I think. Oh, for sure. Like the Who, the, the, <laughs> the music Rolling, the yeah, the Who, the Rolling Stones. Like I remember when um, Mad Men used the Beatles in one episode. It was like a, f- a huge like fucking investment to get the Beatles and we we just the last FX show we did on this show on this podcast was it's always sunny and it's just such a huge difference because always sunny used um public domain stuff like basically right. for the entire run of the of the series yeah there I I remember um their opening theme to It's Always Sunny. Like, I was watching TV the other day, and some local commercial was using it. I was like, oh, it's the Always Sunny theme. And then I heard you guys, I listened to the It's Always Sunny episode, and you guys were talking about... How it's free. So how, <laughs> Yeah, the royalty-free music. Um, so the last thing we do for people that are guesting on the show is we do something called the IMDB game, all right? And I excluded, okay. I excluded this from the notes I sent you. Now, have you ever listened to us play this? I heard one episode where you did the IMDb game. I believe it was Fuller House. Okay, okay. So uh, we haven't played it for a while, so I'm gonna I'm gonna read off the rules for our listeners again. So for the IMDb game, you have not played it, so we'll go over the rules again. I'm gonna give you ten okay. shows, and I'm gonna start with the one we're discussing. So I'm gonna start with Legion, so you can start thinking about that now. You're attempting to guess someone within the top five of the IMDb cast. Now, you're an IMDb, you surf that website all the time, but they usually order them by how many episodes they appear in, but at times it's not ordered that way. Like At times it's just tricky or star power or the star meter or whatever the fuck they use. Mostly Mm -hmm. it's amount of episodes that I've found. Um, And of course that can be tricky Like when they have the same, so who goes above who? So the rub here is that if you name the number one person on the IMDb list for the show, you get five points and you get to guess again. So you basically get to keep doing that for all five. If you guess five, four, three, two, one in order, you get 15 points per show if you went perfect. So I'm going to give you a show, and you're going to try to name the top build person. And if you do, you get another guess. And if you name the second, you get another guess, etc. Okay. As soon as you go out of order or name somebody that's not in the top five at all, we move on. Does all that make sense? It makes sense, yes. Okay, cool. So let's start. I've got it on my screen here. i just got to find Legion real quick. Let's start with Legion. What would be your number one top-ranked person? Okay. Can I say up front, I, this might be a little unfair because I did look at the IMDb cast that's earlier okay. today. That's okay. Okay. So I won't. I don't remember them all, but, but you, I do. You did not know the game was coming. I didn't give you any advance right. warning. So if you did prior okay. research just by accident, that's good. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> so number one top build person of Legion, right? Yep. Dan Stevens. All right. Five points. Number two, Gene Smart. All right. Four. Now, do I have to keep guessing in order, or because um, this is you can through. you can guess again. You'll still get the point if you get like number five, but you just won't. Get, okay. you won't get to keep going. Uh, 
so I know she's not next, but I'm, I think she might be in the top five. Uh, Rachel Keller. All right. She is number five. So you ended okay. up with 10 points for that round. That's a pretty good first round. So your second okay. one, and where we'll start going off of what you've researched, is Parks and Recreation. So we're taking the Aubrey Plaza strain and we're following it to Parks. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, number one, I'll go... Oof, this is this is tough. I know this uh, is a tough game. <laughs> I got. I guess I got to go with Amy Poehler. Yep, five points. Okay, number two. Oh man, shit. Uh, now, of course, think of people that have been in all the episodes. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm. Okay, number two, I'll go with Aziz Ansari. He is one, two, three, four. He is five. So you get one point for there. So we're up to 16 total. Our next um, one is The League. The League. Okay. Yeah, the League. Number one, I'll go with Mark Duplass. All right. So that is five points. And we're taking the Katie Asselton uh, thread and we're following that here. What would number, be number two? Number two, I'll go with Nick Kroll. Nick Kroll is number three, so you get three ah. points there, so you're up to 24. Um, Jonathan LaJoy Taco was number two. Ooh. Nick Kroll, then the guy who lied about 9-11, uh, <laughs> Paul Shear, and Katie Asselton is number six. She actually doesn't appear in two episodes. Oh, So okay. I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know why she uh, dropped out of a couple, but she did. All right, so this one's a little tougher, and this one is an anthology, but this is Noah Hawley's other show and that is fargo oh shit yeah (laughs) (sighs) well i don't really know much of anything about this show but i am going to say for my first guess billy bob thornton that's four that's fourth on the list so that's two points and i'll take that that's that's pretty good but he did miss one episode in season one so that's why he is was was martin freeman on there he was third yeah he was third so not not a huge difference you would have gotten there but you would have got an extra point okay our next one is hot in cleveland all right cool uh (laughs) question what the fuck is that show (laughs) i'll give you a hint it is on tv land and okay. it is about old people. Okay. Um, Set in Cleveland. All right. There's one. Per, there's probably one person you should know. Okay. Give me a second. Okay. Um, hot in Cleveland. I'm going to say... You know what? I'll go with Gene Smart. Nope. No Gene Smart. Betty White was in it. Oh, okay. Betty, Betty White was fourth. Okay. I was trying to think. I was trying to think of like an old person or older person in Legion that would connect to. Yeah, right. I I like to get it gets a little more difficult after the f- five. So these are going to be a little more difficult. So this okay. next one is a show that was based on a Twitter account, and it was a show called "Shit My Dad Says." <laughs> oh, <laughs> great! Uh, so there's again probably one person you should know from this. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. I saw the commercial for it at some point, probably during a CBS presentation of NFL. <laughs> yeah. Uh, fuck. Who was the dad? Um, think like um, space. Yeah. I'm just gonna say. Oh. Fuck. <laughs> 
you know what? I don't. I don't even. I. I can't throw out I'm, a throw out a space captain. Okay, uh, <laughs> Patrick Stewart. Oh no, no, no! Wait, God, <laughs> fucking uh, William Shatner. All right, I'm gonna give you three points for that. Yeah. He is he is top build. I'm gonna give you half the points, so you're at yeah, 29. Yeah, I didn't totally earn that. No, no, you didn't totally earn that one. So the next one is um, Will and Grace, and this Will is and one Grace? that's coming back for okay. a new run. Okay. Um. Okay, there was an episode of or a segment on Billy on the Street where <laughs> De- Deborah Messing. It's Deborah Messing, you gays. De- Deborah Messing is third, so you're uh, up to thirty-two. Megan Mullally is number one. Ooh, that was oh. my f- that was the first one ah. that came to my mind, but damn. And then Eric McCormick is number two. So that that's a tough one. Okay, our next yeah. one is I don't know if you're gonna get any of these. Allie McBeal. Allie McBeal. Oh, um, Shit. Yeah, who who is Allie? Yeah. Uh man, I cannot I can picture her, but I just can't think of what her name is. Allie McBeal. It's uh Wasn't she married she was married to Harrison Ford for a time, I believe. I think. Yeah, probably. That guy's just fucked everything. <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna say <laughs> I know it's not her Meg Ryan. No, it's Callista Flockhart. What? Yeah, Callista Flockhart. All she right. So, Ellie McBeal? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe okay, I was saying something. So I'm gonna you know, I had I had another tough one, but uh I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you a bone here and see if you can nail the order. Let's go with let's go with the American office. The American office, okay. Yeah, yeah. So again, you gotta think of people that yeah. have been in the most episodes. Okay. That's why it gets tricky. I'm going to say number one. Oh, yeah, this is tricky. Uh, number one, I'll go with. Give me a sec. I got to think of his name. <laughs> John Krasinski. <laughs> he is number two. That's a, a pretty, pretty good okay. goal there. Uh, Rain Wilson's number one. Oh, OK. That makes sense. And the last one is Glee. Glee? Yeah, OK. Do you know any of the Glee characters? I. I did watch Glee for a little bit. Okay. So there is one, two, three, four, five people that have been in all 121 episodes. Okay. Well, <laughs> Ray Monteith died, so he's definitely not in all of them. No, that's not. Uh, Leah Michelle. Leah Michelle is third. Three points. 39 points. That's a pretty damn good score. Um, I know I've been teasing this for a while, but I finally have the scoreboard done. I just have to add your score in, and we will have a IMDb game scoreboard. I think somebody got into the 40s, okay. so you may not have topped them, but 39 is a good first run until you come back with a vengeance. Yeah, So just I will. start looking at all the IMDb pages of all the shows of the last 20 years, and you'll be prepared. I- yeah, I am going to. <laughs> I remember when I heard the Fuller House episode, and I was like, oh, if I ever guest on this show, I'm going to like study the fuck out of IMDb. And then I, I wasn't you. sure I wasn't sure if you still did it. Yeah, so. we, we do it. We just haven't had a guest in a while, and we're going to okay. do it again on our next episode. So we'll, we'll have some scores to fill it out. But 39, a solid first effort, and, and you pulled out... 10 points out of legion that's a pretty good that yeah. was a pretty good start at least yeah but then you missed all of 
hot in Cleveland. So you <laughs> yeah. obviously should have been watching. And Ally yes. McBeal. Yeah. Those crushed Allie you. Mc... Yeah. I guess I was thinking the wrong thing when I was thinking of Ally McBeal. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know a show Meg Ryan's in, but I'm sure there's one out there. Let's wrap up this episode. Of course, this yeah. has been Pilot Study. Garth, where can they find... Give us the web address of Film Brew again, and where can they find you on Twitter? So you can listen to Film Brew on soundcloud.com slash filmbrew. Okay. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at the Garth Watson. Uh, and because apparently there's other Garth Watsons out there. I don't Fuck. know. Yeah. <laughs> and inst- Instagram is the same thing, right? Instagram and Twitter, both, both the same thing. Uh, friend, don't friend me on Facebook. <laughs> Facebook. Uh, Stop, please, Sydney. I, I have to know. Is, is this, is this real? Hmm? I mean, what if we're back at the hospital? What if none of this ever happened? And we're, please, I, I have to know. Are you real? I'm real. This is real. Okay? I'm here. I came back for you. I love you. Okay? Okay. You gonna say it too? I, I love you. Oh. Bummer.